May God the Holy Spirit fill you with great joy as you hear God's always good news of the gospel, knowing that it is by the words of the gospel that we abound in the hope of everlasting life. Amen. The world really does change all the time, doesn't it? And so does the church. Jesus was in Judah and in southern Israel, and then his, uh, his cousin, John the Baptist, was arrested. So he went up north. And then life changed whew, for several of Jesus' disciples when he called them to ministry. Would you like to be like those guys? Let's, let's do it this way. Think over all the studies you remember having of the Bible, Sunday school, when you were a kid. If you could be most like any one of the characters in the Bible, who would you pick? Not, not counting Jesus, of course. Who would you pick? Would it be Noah? Abraham, Moses, David, Peter, Paul, Mary. I'm not talking about the trio. <laughs> Those will all be great choices. I think we'd agree with that. But I wonder, am I wrong to think that none of you gave or thought of the answer, I really want to be like Jonah? <laughs> Jonah? The guy from our first lesson? You recall that God commanded his prophet to go to Nineveh, which was the capital of the hated country of the Assyrians. And God said, I got a job for you, Jonah. I want you to go to Nineveh, plead with those people to think over where they've been, what they've been up to, what they're doing, how they're disrespecting me, to repent before I lower the boom. The man of God's answer, you gotta be kidding. I'm not doing that. He was completely unwilling to serve as God wanted. Like most Jews, he hated the Assyrians and their capital city of Nineveh. You see, the Assyrians in ancient world history were a particularly brutal, miserable people. Notoriously cruel, pagan. God was ordering Jonah to try to reason with them, and he totally balked at that idea. Actually, Jonah resented God's grace. God, why are you even bothering with these people? We don't want them saved. We want them nuked, fried, damned. Get rid of those people. The world would be better off without them. So when God said, Jonah head east to Nineveh, Jonah said, I'm going west to Spain. He was going in the opposite direction. Remember, this is one of God's great prophets. <laughs> it was only after God appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. By the way, the Bible does not talk about a whale. It says a great fish. Uh, somewhere in the Mediterranean Sea that Jonah got to thinking, maybe I should have listened to God. And he obeyed. And so that's where our Old Testament lesson picks it up when God says for a second time, head east. I still got a job for you to do in Nineveh. But make no mistake, even then, Jonah remained a reluctant and a resentful prophet. When he went to Nineveh and he preached and the people listened and they repented, he was angry with God. I told you, God, you're just too forgiving. 
And he sat on a hill outside the city of Nineveh, overlooking the city, hoping against hope that God would once again change his mind and fry that city. It's a sad story. It's a sad situation. And yet, through such a one, God performed wonders and even great blessings. The Ninevites did repent. By the way, if anybody ever asks you, what is the miracle of the story of Jonah? Don't talk about a fish. That's child's play. The great miracle is that all those people repented. And God got to spare those people. It's an unbelievable, breathtaking miracle. God says there's 120,000 people in that city who don't know their right hand from their left. What is that? He's talking about children. The world has never valued children. The world still doesn't value children today. This is life weekend where we think about God's value on a child to which our world says, I don't think so. 120,000 children were spared. And through Jonah and his amazing story, God's people learned a great lesson. I think we know it a little differently from the New Testament. You know the words, God so loved the world. That's Jew and Gentile. That's somebody from Jerusalem and somebody from Nineveh? No, you can't mean Nineveh. No, God says, I really do. I love them all. I made them all. My son died for them all. I want them all saved. Even a reluctant prophet like Jonah could become a hero of faith. Years later, Jesus would compare his life to Jonah's. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the great belly of the fish, so I, the Son of Man, will be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth, he said. It was his way of predicting what was going to happen after he died. He'd be buried, and after three days he rose again from the dead on Easter. He used the story of Jonah to predict and illustrate his resurrection. Perhaps in answer to my original question, some of you are inclined to answer, I think I'd like to be one of those disciples. That's a good answer. Indeed, our gospel lesson seems to th say that, you know, guys like Peter and Andrew, James and John, well, they were most eager men of God. When God called them to go to ministry, they didn't run away like Jonah did. They ran right to Jesus. Remember a couple weeks ago I said uh, the Gospel of Mark has this interesting way of, of talking. It says John the Baptist's message was prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Euthea is the Greek word. And the Greek adverb that we get from straight is straightway, if you remember King James Version. Because when Jesus got on the scene, straightway things happened or as it likes to put in the newer translations, immediately or at once. There are 11 immediately's in the first chapter of Mark alone. 11 of them. Jesus got on the scene and bam, 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 things are happening. Including when Jesus called these men 
to be his disciples. They immediately, Mark says, they didn't, it's like they, they went, well, of course. And they, they immediately dropped everything they were doing and they left their boats, they left their nets with Zebedee. I wonder how he felt about all that. Where are you guys going? Get back here. And, and they off they went with Jesus. They had high hopes for Jesus. But as it turns out, they only had high hopes in the wrong way. They really wanted Jesus to be a Messiah that would lead them to great victory over their enemies. The, the most hated enemy at the current time was, of course, the Roman Empire. They wanted Jesus to kick the Romans out, to restore Israel to the greatness of the days like kings David and Solomon. Wow, then we would really be happy to be uh, your right and left-hand men. And they, 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 we find them arguing regularly, all 12 of them when he got 12, all 12 of them who deserve the highest places in Jesus' cabinet. As a result, these four, like Jonah, actually were men with clay feet. Yes, they left all to follow Jesus that day on the shores of Galilee, but Three, three and a half years later in the Garden of Gethsemane, they left Jesus high and dry and fled so that they could save their own hides. They wanted nothing to do with that group that had come to arrest Jesus with their best friend and master stood trial before Pilate. Not a one of them dared go and try to do anything about that. Coming to his defense, no, 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 no. And yet, through such as these, and it's so easy for us, lo these many years later, to pick on those guys. <laughs> you know, knuckleheads, why? It's through men like these, God performed wonders and gave great blessings. They did come to see in Jesus the person of God himself. What child is this who lays to rest? Well, it's God. God who had become a man so that by his cruel death, by crucifixion, Jesus would have life for them and for the entire world. They believed he died to pay for their sins and the sins of all mankind, Ninevites and Jerusalemites together. They lived to see him raised from the dead, just as Jonah was propelled out of the belly of that fish. Jesus came out of the belly of, of the earth on Easter Sunday morning. The fact that forever changed Peter and Andrew, James and John, Thomas, Philip, Nathaniel, you name all of them with one exception, sadly, Judas. It changed every one of them so that they were people who were caught by Jesus to serve him by catching others. Caught by such a powerful love, they became fishers of men and they did it. And as they did it, they became heroes of faith. Of them, Jesus would say that at the end of time, he would sit on his throne and those men would sit on thrones around him. Wow. Would you like to be like one of those guys? Tell me, when I asked you of all the people in scripture that you knew, can recall, who you'd most like to be like, did any of you dare answer, well, you know, Pastor, it's a great thought, but I'd just as soon not be any of those people because I'm happy being me. Did you answer yourself? 
Don't blush. It's not that bad of an answer. We don't have to be conceited. I know it sounds a bit conceited, but it might be better if we ask this. Do you see yourself as one of God's heroes of faith? And don't blush at that thought. Indeed, be bold with me and realize that as the Christians we are, we, you, you already qualify. Certainly not because of some superior quality that we have to offer God. Jonah didn't have anything like that. Peter, Andrew, James, and John didn't have that. Indeed, all the so-called biblical heroes of faith proved to be people of clay feet. Noah was given to excess of wine. Abraham and Sarah like to continue to fool people that they were a brother and sister. Well, they were half brother, half sister, so okay, half truth is still uh, a lie, isn't it? And, and when God promised them a child in their old age, they both laughed, thinking that's just, that's just a knee slapper, God, I'm sorry. I don't think that's ever going to work. Jacob was a liar and a cheat. Moses had multiple excuses why when God called him at the burning bush, you got the wrong guy. No, you don't really want me. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Mary and Joseph, chosen by God to be the parents of the Messiah, were just common, ordinary, peasant people. Uncommon faith, but they were no accounts to the rest of the world. Paul, when he was Saul, persecuted the church. He never forgot it. Despite all that, you and I therefore qualify, like they qualified, to be heroes of the faith because of what God has made us in his grace to be. Or as the old saying goes, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. Despite our sin and complete unworthiness, God has called us in love to faith. Despite the fact that you remember the words, I think, if you were confirmed anyway as a Lutheran somewhere along the way, that we cannot by our own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ our Lord or come to him. Lo and behold, you're sitting there, I'm sitting, standing up here, we've got faith. And if it wasn't because of my superior reason or strength or yours, how did that happen? Well, you remember the answer Luther gave. It's the perfect biblical answer, the Holy Spirit has called us by the gospel, enlightened us with his gift, sanctified and keeps us in the true faith. Lord, open thou my heart to hear. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas get to the Greek city of Philippi. And there was no synagogue, so they went down to the riverside, down by the riverside. They went down to the riverside and found a group of Jews who were worshiping down by the riverside including a woman named Lydia. And, it, and, and Luke couldn't be any clearer. He says in his account in the book of Acts, Acts 16, you can look it up when you get home, that when they listened to Saul, the Lord opened their hearts. Luther had it right. The Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gift, sanctified, and keeps me in the true faith. That's why we sing, Lord, open thou my heart to hear. All we can say is thank you, God, that you've given me your love, you've given me your grace. God is offering that love and grace to everybody in the world, and why some, uh, some come to faith in him and others don't remains the great wondrous mystery of the Christian faith. It really does. But because God has qualified us, here we are following him.
You don't have to be a prophet, an apostle, a missionary, a pastor, or a teacher to be a hero of faith. Sometimes at large church gatherings, <clears throat> remember I've been around the block a time or two, I've, I've attended a lot of church gatherings, people will begin introducing themselves. And some guy will say, well, I'm so-and-so, I'm pastor, and this person says I'm a teacher, this person says I'm a DCE or whatever. And invariably, you can almost count on it, there's going to be somebody who will sheepishly raise his or her hand and say, my name is Joe Schmo, and I'm only a layman. There is no such thing, only a layman, as though you're a second-class citizen in God's kingdom. No, 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 no. That's so wrong and degrading, as though you don't count, and you do. Let me tell you about some heroes of faith that I've been privileged to know, and they were all laymen. I've known Christians who have experienced the worst men can do in war and yet return home with more faith in God than they had when they left. I've experienced Christians who have been blessed with children with special needs who have lovingly raised them to God's glory. I've known Christians who have done what no parent dares to imagine, bury a child, and yet have kept faith in a gracious God. I've known Christians who have lost virtually everything in a bad economy or some disaster, and yet have had the fire to start all over again. I've known Christians who have battled alcoholism with Christian dignity and humility. I've known Christians who were told they had less than six months to live, and by the way, that was spot on. Christians who are told they had only six months to live, who lived their last with gratitude and grace. And I could go on. And when I witnessed those people and I ministered to those people and I rubbed elbows with those people, I felt small. And I'm telling you the truth. I learned so much from the people of God. In his day, all of that kind of heroic faith moved John Newton. You remember John Newton. He wrote the great hymn, Amazing Grace. John M Newton was moved to write, Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. That's you and me. A hero of faith? In Christ, you are. And so are all who are called to live with faith in Jesus. That's what made Christianity the great magnet that it was in the first century. The love of God that would move him to give his son to die for sinful mankind transformed the lives of poor and rich, slave and free, Jew and Gentile, or Jerusalemite and Ninevite. It transformed people all over the empire all over the world, and it still is transforming lives today. The church changes. It's always changing. We laid to rest two of God's saints in this congregation today, and tomorrow we get to welcome new members. By the way, their skins are very, very, very dark. They're from Liberia. Her dad's a Lutheran pastor from Liberia. My goodness. 
know what the most Lutheran country in the world is today? Lutheran Church of Ethiopia. What? Second most populous Lutheran country in the world? The Lutheran Church of Tanzania. My goodness, this is not the same world. Well, it's never going to be the same world. The world constantly changes, but God's kingdom stays. It grows, it grows, it grows because of God's people. Despite our sin and unworthiness, our Father sees us as his heroes of faith. And if you see yourself that way, then in his hands you are. More and more we can see Christ in us grow and mature. In what way? Why heroes of faith, of course. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Having heard God's word, I invite you to join with me in professing our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. Please stand. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You, you said that. You, you, you do believe that, right? Do you understand what a miracle you are? I'm serious. That you have come to faith in the triune God, that you have come to faith that Jesus, who lived 2,000 years ago in Israel, is actually God's son, who died, rose again, ascended into heaven, is coming back. My goodness, what a miracle. You are a miracle of God. You're also a hero of God.